the more that we talk about this, the more that we normalize our experiences, the more that we are to share compassion for lived experience and try to empathize with our brothers and sisters, the, the quicker we're going to be able to heal. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Wake Up Stories. Normally on our podcast, we are here with a guest who is sharing their personal story, but we felt strongly to have this special episode and we wanted to bring everyone together to talk about some recent events. So I'm going to turn the time over to my co-host, Andrea, and she will then introduce our two guests for today. Hey, thank you, Laura. Hey, y'all, I'm Andrea. Welcome to this very special episode, as she mentioned, in the wake of what has transpired this week on Wednesday, January 6th, we felt extremely inclined and impressed to throw together a podcast just literally off off our cuff and discuss some of our feelings of what happened with our domestic terrorism on our nation's capital on Wednesday. And I think it's very important to have these discussions now while our feelings are going. We wanna hear your comments. You can join us in our Facebook group at The Wake Up Stories to discuss this further. But we do have two very special guests with us today to discuss what happened. We have Dr. Dee Franey with My Yes Life. She is an international life coach and has been in the sphere of coaching for how many years, Dee? 10, 12? Oh, seven and a half. <laughs> oh, just kidding. I gave, I, I, I patted her stats. <laughs> she's been coaching for about seven and a half years. She's absolutely amazing. A total powerhouse. And then we also have with us today, Caroline, who has helped on several political campaigns. And so we value her uh, opinion and time and attention to this subject. So we're just going to jump right into it and to this discussion. And Caroline, for those who don't necessarily follow what's happening in the world, people like me who don't even have cable and have missed what went down, I would really appreciate if you can lay the groundwork for what happened on that day. And let's keep in mind, this was also January 6th was the day that our government came together to certify the votes for the Electoral College. So Congress came together to certify the votes for the Electoral College for their election in November. And it was also the day of the Senate runoff in Georgia. If you don't follow politics, basically we had neither the Democrat or Republican politician received 50% of the vote. So Georgia had a runoff and it, the whole world was literally watching because if two Democrats had taken the seats, then the Democratic Party would have taken control of the Senate, which is right now controlled by Senator Mitch McConnell. And had the Republicans won, they would have maintained control. So this was a very important election that the entire world was watching to see who was going to take control of our Senate literally the same day that our Congress was certifying the electoral vote. So there was a lot of tension and feelings going on this day and the weeks leading to what happened on January 6th. So I just wanted to set the groundwork really quickly on that day. But I would love, Caroline, if you just jump in and lay the groundwork, if you can just give us like a factual kind of timeline. I guess I'll start by saying for the last two months, President Trump and his team have refused to concede the results of the November election, alleging that there was mass voter fraud. 
And so a group of supporters, a group of citizens gathered in Washington on January 6th, and it was for a protest because in conjunction with the certification by Congress of the election results, there was also an effort that began in the U.S. Senate for individual senators to reject states, electoral college votes, and of course have an audit. This is a very heated time in our country. I don't have to tell anybody that. So the morning of the protest, President Trump goes out and he addresses his supporters and he vows that he will never concede. Those are his words. And that the country is being destroyed. He said, I'll read to you. He says, all of us here today do not want to see our election victories stolen by emboldened radical Democrats. We will never give up. We will never concede. It will never happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved. Our country has had enough. We will not take it anymore. At which point he tells them to march down Pennsylvania Avenue. And so this large group of protesters arrives at the Capitol and it, it, huge crowds. If you look at the footage, there were people all the way back to the Washington Monument before they get to this point. And a group of lawless extremists actually was able to break into the Capitol and wreck some havoc. We saw images from Getty of a protester sitting behind Speaker Nancy Pelosi's desk of a standoff inside the US House chamber. And so I think what we're picking up today now will be about the police response and the clash with protesters. And I think all of us here have protested before, so I'm excited to hear everybody's thoughts. Yeah, and before we jump into our, how we feel about the protesting, I also did want to clarify this is not a political chat on an us versus them. We are here to simply discuss the protesting and the differences between a predominant black group of protesters versus a predominant white group of protesting and how that impacts our unconscious bias moving forward and the unconscious bias and feelings that maybe even led up to this event. So and I want to echo that a little bit, Andrea, because the reason that I love this podcast so much is because I really want to learn. And so when you have an event like this and I see it through my eyes and then I get to hear how you see it through your eyes, there's a lot of difference there. And if I don't hear your story, I'm never going to, I'm never going to know and understand. So I just think it's important that even though we are looking at the same thing, we're not coming from the same place. And so it's just really important right. to hear how people feel and react to these things so that we can better understand each other. And I just feel like it's an important conversation. There is a fine line. We definitely want to have a space where everyone feels welcome and everybody feels understood. So when we talk about something that is so politically charged, that's, that is a fine line. But I hope that we can do that today. And I hope that we can come together with a desire to understand one another, because I'm grateful that we can talk about this. And I'm definitely interested to hear what everyone has to say. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. D, I am like chomping at the bit to hear your thoughts. You are a well-known life coach, also fellow podcast host, and you work with so many different people from so many different backgrounds. You are also a military spouse who's currently living um, in Germany and you've literally lived all over the world. You have so much international influence and you work with so many different people from so many different backgrounds. What are your thoughts when you saw 
a predominant white group protesting in DC versus when you have seen a predominant black group protesting in DC? First, it was almost nine o'clock at night for us when the news broke. And it was really weird because it was almost rapid fire. I got three text messages from wildly different people that were like, are you aware of what's going on in the Capitol? And we got the news on and we started watching. And immediately as the images were coming through, my first thought was there's no way that if this group of people were people of color, that this would have ever gotten this far. It was horrifying. Mm -hmm. So what made you derive to that feeling? Because I had the same reaction. I had, I I'd watched, I stayed up the night before watching the Georgia election. And when I'd gone to bed, it was too close to call. So when I got up and I had seen that Revan Murdoch had won, but the Ossoff hadn't been called yet, is where I left off for the day. And then I started watching when the Congress started certifying the votes. And literally, we only got through like the A's and then I had to go to a couple of meetings. So when I came back from my meetings, the domestic terrorism attack had already happened. And I'm like, Whoa, what? So what were your thoughts and feelings? Because what made you derive to that point? Uh, if this was for people of color, it never would have gotten that far. It was such a historic day, right? There, the The... Black senator being elected in Georgia for the first time and uh, a woman of color being elected vice president. So like high for like progress and change. And then to see this happening, unfolding live on television. And it, it was impossible not to think about the BLM protests this summer and the pre police brutality and the way that people of color are treated in our country for almost just existing, right? <laughs> like Breonna Taylor being shot in her own house. Right. Like I couldn't not see the parallel and the distinction. And I sat there in horror and disappointment and shock that the, just how far these extremists were able to penetrate the Capitol building and the lack of response, the lack of police response, like just literally letting them walk on by in people get fired for doing that. The, the Capitol Police Chief has resigned. The Senate Sergeant of Arms has resigned because I think overwhelmingly Americans felt like it was not sufficient and there should have been preparation because we did know this was coming. Right. And there were groups in the far right corners of the internet that did talk about a siege on the Capitol. So you wonder why was the National Guard not there first thing in the morning how on earth did it ever get to this level? Yeah. And then even there's the images from this summer from the BLM protests in Washington with the National Guard in full riot gear all down the steps of the Capitol building. So there was such a layer of humans and like law enforcement to prevent anyone from getting anywhere near the building. So that was the, just so you know, cause I was, I talked to Andrea about this yesterday and okay. If, and honestly, I just want to be really transparent here. Cause if you're ever, if you don't know about this kind of stuff, then you must live under a rock. And I am telling you, then that's probably where I live. Okay. <laughs> After this year, I really, I shut the media down hard and I live in Georgia. This is a very, it was a very tense time. I 
shut a lot of stuff down. So my knowledge of this when, so Andrea called me yesterday and she's like, I got to talk to you about this. She had to tell me pretty much everything I knew. All I knew was something had gone down at the Capitol and that there were very, something happened. I really did not even know even about all the rioting and stuff until Andrea's like, okay, let me tell you. And so we talked about the national guard and I'm like, so right now, Andrea was my only source of information. So I went back and did some digging. So that picture that you were, you're referencing is actually in front of the Lincoln Memorial. And so for our listeners, that isn't the Capitol that, and it was after some vandalizing had already happened to that building. So I know that they're on social media. There was a lot of that image went viral and there were parallels drawn there, but I just wanted to clarify that they were two separate buildings. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because we do want factual information because yeah, the, a big part of the difference is that when BLM was protesting over the summer, they were marching down the mall, like kind of an MLK style from the sixties. And they were there, yes, because rioting had happened prior to that. But rioting also happened on January 5th, the night before the certification. So before the domestic terrorist attack, you had a predominant group of white protesters fighting Washington, D.C. police officers. So Mm -hmm. when you look at the two, technically they were in two different places in D.C., sort of. But the same events generally happen the day before their big protesting, which brings me back to the question of when when there's a fight the night before the BLM protest and there's a fight the night before this predominant white protest, then the National Guard is brought in in full force for the actual protest. Why wasn't the National Guard brought in and full force for this predominant white protest on January 6th. Were they brought in at all? No. Okay. Not till after, as far as I'm concerned, it was, he's going to call them in, but it wasn't until after. Okay, so I, there, and I honestly, I don't want to get hung up on technicalities here because when I think we get back down to the root of what we want to talk about, we're all on the same page here. But when I went back and looked, the mayor of DC had called in, but just a limited number of National Guard. And I don't think it was obviously enough of a presence in comparison to the Black Lives Matter where we, you see them lined up on that step. So if, we, if, if they were there and if she did call them in, you definitely, you didn't see them. Well, and that, I think- That goes to my point of why in America do we show greater force on black communities than we do on white communities. Yeah. And I think that's the point that we want to really get to, because when you see how these two groups were treated when there is rioting and how there is that double standard, it's very obvious. And I will say, I understand with, with human behavior, it is a humanistic care. That's probably not even a word, but it's a human characteristic that when a group of people get together and get fed up, we don't only spur on this podcast, but shit goes down and shit gets burned up. It just does. Our country was founded on a revolution. It was started with a riot. I understand that's how people are, but it's also, while we all understand that's how people get when you get together and there's high intense feeling, the police presence should be the same, in my opinion. 
there's no reason why they ever, and I, for me, want to make the clarification. It wasn't just rioting on the 6th by this predominant white group. That's domestic terrorism. You attacked, broke in, defamed our nation's capital. That disgusting Confederate flag was inside our nation's capital. And those people, most of them just walked out. Some of them being held, literally holding the hands of officers ushered downstairs. It not maced, not shot, not beaten. And bragging, the guy, I don't even going to give his name fuel, but the guy who was in Nancy Pelosi's office with his feet on the desk and wrote her that note and stole from her desk, which is federal property. Why is he allowed to walk out and then brag to it to the media? I'm sorry. Handcuffed, detained, nothing. nothing. Caroline, what, what did, I know you spoke something yeah. in there. What did you say? So I added, I said, and take selfies with them because there is an image online of what appears to be a Capitol police officer posing for a selfie taken by one of the one of the protesters, the rioters who enter the building. Right. And I think, and I think any time, I think there's, there are people, I don't know, there is part of me that I think this helps, hopefully it helps open people's eyes that if you didn't see the difference before when black people are saying we're treated differently, right? if you didn't see it before, if anything comes from this, maybe you see it now. Right. I'm. Thank you for bringing that up. I recently read this book called Stamped, and it's a historical book. It's like a history book, but not a history book on racism in America and even before America was created. And there's some touchy terms in there like white privilege, which those of you who are listening, if you don't know, my husband is white. I am black. This is Andrea. We have four voices on this podcast and you can't see their face. And my husband and I have had this conversation about white privilege several times. And for years, we've been married. It'll be 10 years in March. We don't agree on the definition. And sometimes he sees my point and sometimes I see his point. And for me, watching that on the six was a prime example of privilege. It doesn't mean oh, I had to work hard, just as hard as you, and someone shouldn't give me a hand up. Oh, you know what? This isn't about reparations. And this is about, for me, in my opinion, this is a prime example of why just because of the color of your skin and our nation's history, you get treated differently for very similar, if not exact or worse behavior than your people of color in our country. And this is like handing white privilege on a silver platter to the Webster Dictionary, in my opinion. But what are y'all's thoughts about that? I wanna, I honestly, I just wanna say thank you for giving us a little bit of insight into your marriage because I think sometimes when you say, so say for instance, you and me, we have a lot of racial conversations and sometimes they're heated and we don't always agree. And some it's, it takes working through that conversation, which happened yesterday for us. And I think like when you have the insight to your, a marriage that's white and black and you don't always agree. And that's the closest relationship that you have in your life. And to see that, like, you're still not even always going to agree, but you can make it work. And I think like, for me, it just gives me hope and the value of you can always work through 
and still appreciate people. And it's never even going to be perfect. Not even if you're married to that person. <laughs> Amen, sister. Amen. I want to hear from Caroline and Dr. D again. And the question that I pose from you guys or pose for y'all is why do you think this very controversial topic of white privilege even exists? What have you guys seen, heard, experienced? Okay, let me start with this. One, do you think white privilege is a thing? Yes or no, why or why not? And then what are some of those reasons that back your feelings and opinion on that? Caroline, we haven't quite heard from you as much. If we can start with you and then Dr. D, I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Uh, yes, I believe in white privilege. And the example I will give comes from my home state right now, Georgia, of Ahmad Arbery. Earlier this year, he was a young black man and uh, he was, I think he was running through the neighborhood, came across a house that was under construction, walked inside, took a peek around. And then what happened is that some of his white neighbors came and they shot him from behind and they killed him and they uttered racial slurs about it. And the contrast, my best friend's parents were just building this big, awesome house in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And when you're building a house, you might live 30, 40 minutes away. And every once in a while, you'll drive by and look at construction and see how things are going. And my mom's friend, Lynette, said that every time she went to look at her house, there were people walking through. And they just, they're just neighbors. They're just interested in the project and the layout, and maybe they want to build a house of their own. And none of them have to worry about being shot for trespassing or why are you here? Because we just know you're there to look at the house. Those are really good examples. I've been that person walking through the new construction house and I have to look over my shoulder and I'm wondering who is here? What are they going to, what am I wearing? Do I look like I'm breaking in? Did someone see me go in? And because I have to be on guard that something tragic, like what happened to Amon, and that's actually the hometown of where my dad is from. He was born in Brunswick. It's an awful thing. It's, we should be able to live in a world where everybody can explore and literally go for a jog freely without wondering, am I going to survive the day just for going for a jog? But thank you for being in those points. That's really good parallelism. I love those examples. Dr. D, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I absolutely think that there is a, such a thing as white privilege. I think an example for me, like with law enforcement, when I was in college, <laughs> me and some girlfriends were going to get some fast food and I was driving and I was at a stoplight and I looked over and it was a couple of the guys that lived in my dorms. We were friends with them. They're both Hispanic guys and we decided to race off the, the line and a cop happened to be driving the other direction, flipped around and pulled us both over. And we got out our licenses, our registration. And I was told they don't do that anymore. And me and my friends went on our way and went and got our fast food. And so probably from where we were at to get there, get our food, drive back was approximately 30 ish minutes or so. And on our way back, my friend was still pulled over. Both of them were out of the car and on the curb cuffed for wow. doing the exact same thing. Wow. So I yeah, it exists. <laughs> I what, did, what did you do at that point? You just saw them and then did you stop again or? No, I just... it was just like, why? Like I was angry and, and confused why. Uh -huh my friends are being treated so differently and so poorly for doing the exact same thing. Did you talk to them about it afterward? Yeah. 
and what was that conversation like? like? Uh, welcome to the difference of being white and brown wow. and how police treat people. Wow. wow. Laura, thoughts? And I, I think what I was just thinking about each of these instances is that I'm just so grateful for every story I get to hear that just paints that. I think like with this, with these conversations that we have, it's my belief that everybody has a story. And so I'm just so grateful when I get to hear these. And I just think exactly Andrea, what you were saying, if you want to see white privilege, being able to walk into the Capitol, defame it, break the law and walk out and, and attack police and nothing is done. It's that's to the extreme. If you didn't, if you didn't think, and it it exists on such small, minute levels, but if you don't, if you don't see it on those little levels, like that's about as big as it can get. Absolutely. And, and Uh, they didn't have their faces covered for the most part. That's why privilege too. And like how do their identity out in public? No face coverings, Facebook living their event. It's very easy to see who they are, yet we, the FBI is asking your help to identify these people. You're the FBI of the greatest, most powerful nation, a country in the nation, in the world. And you can't, the press has already identified them and y'all can't identify them, really? Well, it's weird to me. We even got to the point where the FBI needs help to identify them, why they just weren't detained for doing illegal acts. Thank you. And why are they allowed to like scurry off out of the Capitol building away from it? So my husband, Dave, mentioned, he said, again, he's an army veteran, a civil affairs officer. And this is what gets me. It's not, this is what I would, I want our audience to take away is these protesters the ones who turned into terrorists, that is a completely different category from rioting. In my opinion, this, that was not rioting. They committed a seditious conspiracy. And I'm gonna read, this is according to our US constitution, what this is, what this means. Let me brighten my screen. If two or more persons in any state or territory in any place subject to jurisdiction of the United States conspire to overthrow, put down, or destroy, or or destroy by force the government of the United States to levy war against them, to oppose by force authority thereof, or force to prevent, hinder, or delay execution of any law of the United States, or by force to seize, take possess, and any property of the United States contrary to the authority thereof shall thereby be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. Now, can you tell me that's not what happened on Wednesday? I'm sorry. From what I read from our constitutional law, that's exactly what went down. This wasn't just protest turn riot. This was protest turn like a seditious conspiracy against our governor. They were there, the, the ones who broke, there's a group of, pro, let me acknowledge, there's a group of protesters there to protest their right, which downpour. I protested, do it. But the group who marched to the Capitol to stop 
our government from certifying our elections. That's exactly what they just did. They tried to stop our laws, stop our constitution. That is a seditious, and they commit this heinous crime and we're not detained. I am beyond floored. I'm beyond floored. And I'm beyond floored that I have to then explain this to my kids through a racial lens. That I have to sit my 12 year old down and I have to sit my 17 year old down and I have to teach them so that awful seeds are not planted into their subconscious mind. I had to say, just so you guys know, this is not a white thing versus a black thing. This is not an us versus them. That's not what this is because you're gonna hear the talk at school. You're gonna hear how people are hurt and upset on how black groups are treated versus white groups. I had to sit my kids down and teach them. This was a group of people who committed terrorism, domestic terrorism against our country. And I don't want you to, you can recognize the differences in how the two were treated, but this is not an us versus them. And how many of my white counterparts have to sit down and have these conversations with their kids? Did you, are? Did you have no. that? Right. No, ma'am. I sure did not. And no. so, Caroline, I'm not sure if you have kids. I know Dr. D has thoughts. Not, <laughs> no. But that's also another element on top of this and race relationships in America. Because I want my kids to have healthy seeds planted into their subconscious mind, to live equitable lives, to see people for who they are, to come from a place of love. And in order to do that, I have to teach them that when these crazy things happen, it's not just a white black, right? That's another layer that the black community has on top of everything else that we have to deal with. And I just wanted to bring that up as well because it is so important, Andrea, because there has been a lot of comparison of the two, but the behavior on the six took it to a whole nother different level under the law than even what happened in BLM. So to take it to that level. And, 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 and the vice president, I believe, is in the building at the time. And right. the joint session of Congress, they're having to be moved to a secure location. I read a firsthand account of the LA Times and she said, worked at the Capitol for eight years and I couldn't tell you where we went. There are tunnels and things to go and take cover. So I think it matters too that it's not just an empty Capitol building. It's filled with people doing their constitutional duty for that peaceful transition of power. That's scary. Right. Um, when we were, oh, go ahead. Oh no, keep going. I was actually going to bring up what we were texting about before the podcast about Rayshard Brooks. Yes. And yeah, would you talk about it? Yeah, talk about it. You talk about black and white and the reception of the protesters. And I was honestly stunned that more people weren't shot. And that sounds horrible. We have five dead. But we were talking about Rayshard Brooks in Atlanta. And he pointed a weapon at an officer and was killed. And on the 6th at the Capitol, you had officers attacked. And I haven't seen all the footage, but I know that 60 officers were injured, that 15 were in the hospital, and one has passed away. The officers were, again, attacked, but they did not shoot. What are y'all's thoughts on that? And it's an interesting thing, right? We saw a lot of issues with the lack of de-escalation in BLM, and there was and clearly law enforcement does know how to de-escalate. 
do we think at, just because we're talking about this and I really don't know what I'm talking about, but could it be because of in the past police brutality has been such an issue that now they has training changed? I don't think is that any part of this? I don't there's the from at least in the state of Utah, retraining for police interaction and de-escalation is still in the talks. So they are still, there's a, a task force created. To my, to my knowledge, there's a task force created to reform the police. Mm -hmm. I am not aware if any of the guidelines have officially been created, therefore implemented. I would find it hard to believe that in just a few short months, all of the police have been reformed, retrained to implement new practices. So I, my educated opinion right. and my hypothesis is now, now. And I, I would agree. I would agree. I think it was really just telling of implicit racial bias. And I, it's just, and I think it's a little disappointing because I think sometimes when you hear the police side of the story, because I'm one that likes to look at both sides and hear both sides. And they're like, no, that we would act differently. And of course, like person to person, I can't say this person acted in this way. And if they were there, they would have acted in this way. But you definitely, there's part of me that wants to believe that, yes, this officer, if this person were white, that they would act the same. And because that's the, I think that's the story that we hear. And there's part of me that's, I want to believe that, but then you see something like this and you're like, it just, it's completely different. And the other part that doesn't make sense to me too, as a military spouse, like being around military installations for the better part of my life at this point, like the lack of response, how slow the response was. I've seen incidences happen here uh, or at different bases where there is dozens of police security forces within seconds or minutes of the occurrence. And so for the, the, maybe they didn't plan ahead. They didn't have the appropriate number of law enforcement at the Capitol for the size of the crowd, but just how long my husband and I sitting there and watching the live coverage, how long it took for reinforcements to come in. And it doesn't seem that it followed the normal kind of standard response protocol or possibility that our law enforcement has. Caroline, you were going to say something? Oh yeah, I did want to bring up, I, I also think in these instances of you point a gun at, at an officer and he shoots you or a taser in the example, that is different from a protest. And right. de-escalation tactics are going to be different between fleeing a car and running away and being at a protest. Even if you have on a body camera at a protest, there's news cameras and there's everybody sees what's going on. I don't know. It would be hard to shoot someone with, with swarms of people around you and the chaos that could control. I actually, or that that could cause, I saw an Instagram story by a photojournalist and they said that when people, when protesters began attacking the police, that there actually an argument ensued among the protesters. And some of them were saying, no, we are law and order. Don't talk to the police like that. Get away from there. And then there were the other side, they were fighting back. So originally these two groups that had been unified, there was a split when they got to the Capitol and it was over their interactions with the police. And as soon as the first woman was shot inside the Capitol, there was some more 
chaos there, people leaving, people escalating, people trying to de-escalate. And I imagine it was a terrible scene. And I would like to say we do absolutely stand with our law enforcement and pray for all of those who were injured and their families and this heinous attack on our nation's capital. But it does also bring the question of, for me, as a Black woman in America, and let me back this by saying, I, I stand, support, and love the police. I have a cousin who was more like an uncle who was a police officer and died in the line of duty. I have family members that are police officers. But one of the things that irritates me when predominant groups protest is it feels like those who don't agree with their protesting are very quick to throw up the Blue Lives Matter movement. And I find it very disheartening where are those Blue Lives Matters people now? I have not seen any support for Blue Lives when we just had a police officer murdered in this event. He died yesterday and I am praying for his family. I literally looked over at my husband and I said, I am sending prayers to his family right now. That is awful, awful. I'm sure he didn't, they didn't think when he went to work, I know what it's like to get that call that your family member has died in the line of duty. It is, you can't put it into words. But I find it also weird that so when predominant groups are protesting and people don't agree with their message, the first thing the media says and people on social media, blue lives matter, blue lives matter, blue lives matter. And here we have 16, 16 officers that were in the hospital. Was that right? And one that died. And I haven't heard a single thing about blue lives matter. And that to me is very disappointing and leads me to believe what's the underlining message behind those. Mm -hmm. And I stand with the police. So this isn't a me drawing lines between the two, but I just find it another disappointing thing. It's so blue lives only matter when they have a conflict with black people. Do blue lives not matter when they have a conflict with white people? And I pose the question to y'all because that's some of the thoughts and feelings that I've been processing this week. I think it was certainly hypocritical and ironic when President Trump has always said, I'm the law and order president. We have to have law and order. He signed an executive order over the summer, minimum 10 years in prison for defacing federal property. But I do think that there were people on the ground, certainly, who who went away from the splinter of lawless extremists and who genuinely believe that blue lives matter and that our police deserve more training, more support, more funding, and that they did walk away. So I just want to make sure we. Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up. I stand with you on that. There were, there was more people who walked away than who attacked our capital and good for them for exercising their right and knowing what's right and wrong and not just feeding into the hype and emotion and the BS of what was going down that day. I have nothing but respect for that. And I would say, I've been at a protest and when it starts, when they, when you start to cross the street, when the police have already set up barricades, I remember as a young woman being like, oh gosh, what do I do now? Do I walk with everybody else? Do I walk back to my car several blocks? So that is a tense environment and there is like mob ink definitely. So kudos to those people for calling it, leaving, going home.
And and mine's more of a question because I really, I really don't know how to respond to that as far as I don't, at least I don't have an answer is what I'm trying to say. But when have you noticed the difference though? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think like with Caroline, I think there's, I think there probably is that feeling, but when you say like blue lives matter, I feel like that's a direct play on the words of the black lives matter. So when you hear black lives matter, that's when you're going to hear, well, blue lives matter. And right now you're not hearing black lives matter, black lives matter. You hear this whole other group. So I feel like the blue lives matter is a response in using those actual terms. So I wouldn't say, where's that group now? Cause I think they probably still exist. Maybe not being as vocal, maybe not having that light shined on them. I, so I don't know. What do you think? See, I want to hear what you have to say. Cause I- Okay, my response is that Blue Lives Matter as a response to Black Lives Matter is completely undermining the message and it's just a counter response to stop the message, defame the message, take attention away and say, oh no, that doesn't happen. There's no such thing as privilege. There's no such thing as Black people. We voted Obama in. We're all past that. Civil rights is over. Blue lives matter. That's the mentality. But that's my point. So blue lives only matter when you're contradicting and going against and uh, disenfranchising the Black lives movement. Because if not, shouldn't blue lives matter right now? Shouldn't be protesting blue lives right now? Shouldn't their flags be up right now? Okay. And I know, and I absolutely get what you're saying and and completely agree. I think like when you have Black Lives Matter and then you take that attention away and say all lives matter or anybody else, then yes, you're missing the point of what what that purpose is. I get that. And I completely agree. I was just asking if that's why, but I think like your point helps clarify and help me understand a little bit more. If blue lives matter all the time, then Mm -hmm. where are the blue lives movement people right now? answer to where are the blue lives matter people right now is they are silently conflicted because there is probably crossover between them and a group of people who felt like this was an illegitimate election that's a really good response yeah but it just in my feelings it's just another reason of why we need to continue to fight for equity why we need to continue to have these hard conversations about the race relationships in America, why we need to continue to push police reform, why we need to teach and educate those around us on one, the history of our country, and two, what's currently happening. Because until you understand where we've come from and how people feel and why they feel the way that they do, you won't understand where we wanna go and why we need to create this equitable world. That actually reminds me of a tweet I want to read off. It shows a picture of one of the Proud Boys at the protest yesterday. And he is wearing a shirt with the 6MWE insignia. And it means 6 million Jews wasn't enough. And the tweet says, a reminder that if democracy becomes vulnerable, genocidal forces in the wings are ready to rise. Yes, even in America. And I think that is why it is, unity is so needed right now and equality those are antidotes to some of the hate that we see out there. Dr. D, did you have a thought? Yeah, it's, it's going a little bit different direction, but I think that a lot of, there's a lot of times that people 
white people will deny the difference in experience that black people have with law enforcement. And I think that what we saw on the sixth shows us why some white people have a really hard time understanding that they get treated differently by law enforcement than black people because we saw it unfold. We saw how they were treated differently. I just wanna take the time to say thank you guys for joining us to just talk through and process some of our feelings on this very heightened emotional week in our country. Thank you to our guests for listening. And I'd like to leave our group with, and our listeners, our followers with a little bit of an action item. Oftentimes I'll have some of these tough conversations with some of my white friends, brown friends, and even my black friends. And a a lot of people say, I don't know what to do now. Like I see that I saw what happened. I kind of get it. I'm not sure what to do. I don't know what to say. I'm one person like, what now? How can I make a difference? I don't want this move to continue on. What can I do? And the action item that I would like for you to do is one, think back on your own experiences and think of when you can recall a time when like Dr. D, when she was in the car, is there a time when you were with a black or brown person and you could clearly see how difference the differences in how you guys were treated for some for the exact same thing or something similar and how that make you feel and my section second action item would be to if you want to have these conversations with some of your friends to get them to wake up to some of the race relations and uh, experiences of black and brown people in america start by just asking them their thoughts on what's happening and then listen Ask them, hey, did you see a difference in how black and brown people are treated when they protest versus predominant white groups? What are your thoughts on that? Or did you see a difference in the use of force on predominant black groups versus predominant white groups? What are your thoughts on that? And then just be quiet and listen. And you may not agree and that's okay. Just listen, come from a place of love. And when you feel inclined to share one of your stories or someone else's story, you share it. Because that is going to drive an emotional response to help change feelings and spark change. And if you don't have a story of your own, I'm sure Dr. D doesn't mind, use her story. I was listening to this podcast and Dr. D told this story about when she was 18 and da 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 da. What are your thoughts on that? Why do you think that she and her girlfriend got to drive away yet their Latino friends ended up in handcuffs outside of the car? What are your thoughts on that? So those are the two things that I'd like to leave with you guys is just start with asking a question, listen, come from a place of love and share your story. Laura, D, Carol, is there anything else you guys want to say before we wrap up? Well, I feel like you're thanking everybody else. And I just wanted to take a second and thank you because I oh. know after something like this, there's, and I'm going to get in anyways. It's an emotional week. It's okay. I know. I've already cried. <laughs> I just, I know my brothers and sisters of color are hurting. It hurts. It hurts. And I just, and, and it's hard for everyone to see, but there's another level of hurt when you're, when your skin color is less respected by the people who should be protecting all of us. And I'm just, 
grateful that you're vulnerable, that you talk about your marriage and your kids and that you're willing to share that with us. And that's something I've always appreciated with our friendship. And I know it takes, there's a lot of hurt. And then on top of that, you're spending the energy to help others to understand. And so I am grateful that you take the time and that we do this podcast because it helps me. So thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Dr. D, Caroline, and I love you, Laura. Any last words before we wrap up? Honestly, when I was watching President-elect Biden give his speech on the 6th, on Wednesday, I was really impressed by his calls for unity. And I thought he said the right thing. And I thought it was poignant that he said this was the work of lawless extremists, rather than pointing to any group or any person. And my hope going forward is that we can live in in a happy, free, equal society, and that we can have more love and more unity for each other. And I'm grateful that I could be on this podcast today to talk about these important issues and learn from you guys. So yes. And I, I contacted Caroline just yesterday and she agreed to do this without any hesitancy at all. So thank you very much for coming on and Dr. D I wanted to echo Andrea's sentiments as well. So thank you very much for being here. I'm super grateful for both of you for having a podcast like this and encouraging these types of conversations. I truly believe that the more that we talk about this, the more that we normalize our experiences, the more that we are willing to share compassion for lived experience and try to empathize with our brothers and sisters, the the quicker we're going to be able to heal this. I truly believe that like we are at a point where we've reached critical mass of people knowing that the system is broken and that it's unequal and that it's problematic. And I truly do believe the sixth was horrifying. And there were a lot of people there that have thoughts and beliefs that I don't agree with, but I think that more and more people are coming aware of the implicit biases that they have and are working to change that. And I have a lot of hope and optimism for things getting better and things changing. And maybe if you realize in your own belief system, like you're becoming more aware that maybe you have some beliefs that you want to change, just know that the more that you can take your ego out of it and just say that the belief that I was raised with, the belief that the system programmed into me is wrong and that you as a human being are not inherently wrong makes it easier to change that. And I think that we see a lot of people that are resisting changing their belief because they're tying it back to making them morally and inherently wrong as a human being. And that's why they're fighting so much harder to keep the belief that probably logically and rationally they know is not serving them or anyone else. Thank you. Andrea, I had a quick question for you. So in, in recent podcasts, we've had a guest come on and she said, after something like this happens and okay, you say it then you talk about it. Okay. So another thing, I'm so glad you brought that up. I love when we're all in the same frequency. I wanted to leave you guys with one last action item. When something traumatic in our country like this happens, and you can clearly see parallelism between different races and their treatment. If there's nothing else you can do, reach out to your black brothers and sisters and just ask, 
how are you doing? How are you feeling? What do you need? Whether it's a text, a call, show up at their door with cookies and a hug. You have no idea sometimes the pain that they're feeling. Myself included, I could not even think straight yesterday. I was on the verge of tears all day. My heart was heavy. I cried well into the night. I literally cried into the night at the pain that my black brothers and sisters feel and that I feel with watching injustice situations like this. So if you can't bring yourself to have the hard conversation, you can't bring yourself to share stories, please find the strength to reach out to your black brothers and sisters, your fellow activists, and just check in on them. Just ask them, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What can I do? And Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. oh, well, I was just going to add to that a little bit. And it was interesting because I had a recent conversation with a friend and she's a black friend who lives in a predominantly white neighborhood. And when everything with Black Lives Matter was happening, and I think like we saw Black Lives Matter everywhere, right? Everywhere you looked. And, but she said it meant so much to her when she saw that in families' yards in her neighborhood and she went out of her way and went and knocked on those doors to just say thank you and so sometimes we think oh it's everywhere why would I what difference is that sign going to make in my yard but it lets that person know that sees it that they're not alone they're not right yeah all right thank you guys everybody uh this was a fantastic episode I'm sure we'll have another off the cuff episode when something crazy happens hopefully nothing crazy will happen anytime soon but we know eventually it just you can find us on Facebook at the wake up stories join our group and on Facebook so let's talk about this further if you want to work with Andrea for any speaking events and um, workshops on implicit bias and how to have those hard conversations creating equity you can find me at thewakeupstories.com we're on Instagram at Andrea D Twitter at Andrea D and Dr. D, while you tell our friends where to find you, if you guys need help and trainings with your life coaching and processing, where can they find you, girlfriend? Myyeslife.com or I'm at D Franey on Instagram. Okay. So like, follow, subscribe, join us again as we release these episodes to share stories. So help everybody wake up, plant new seeds into their subconscious mind, be able to have those really hard conversations and create true equity. Until next time, we'll see you. Thank you. Thank you.